Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. We got a special Bob Olin show today. Bob, we got a bunch of special guests with you this morning. Well, we really do, Dave, and it's a real, real pleasure because uh, I have on my right here a very distinguished individual. These are all St. Louis County Master Gardeners or former or emeritus Master Gardeners. And uh, one of them uh, was a resident of Hermantown and now currently a resident of Barnes, moved there to pursue her actual passion in developing uh, shrub roses, hardy shrub roses, hardy disease-resistant shrub roses. And uh, she has... uh, We're fortunate because she is a wonderful introduction with a wonderful name, Cherry Frost, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful shrub rose. But, uh, you know, I mentioned we talked last week about this season being a little different, where we've had uh, more rain this year than in the past, but we've had rain that's been interrupted with beautiful, sunny, bright weather, so we have not typically seen a lot of the fungal disease, at least, uh, not, and we'll look we see if Julie will confirm this. Not yet, at least, so we don't know because we have a wet week coming up here. But uh, So we haven't seen a lot of early blight on tomatoes and other things. Uh, we have seen fire blight, which we talked about, and that may have been just the excessive vegetative growth, leaving that, that cuteness layer, the skin layer of the leaf tissue vulnerable to some of the spores. That's the only explanation I have for the incidence of fire blight that we've seen on mountain ash and, and pears as well as apples. But uh, typically, fungal disease is our major problem in this area, not bacterial disease, and, and we have some insect problems always. But So shr- hardy shrub roses have some tremendous advantages in view of the fact they're hardy, and they require typically less maintenance than a typical hybrid tea rose, which of course are being featured down at Toulouse uh, Rose Garden, which is absolutely magnificent. But uh, Julie had a passion for this, and then she followed her passion up with some formal education. I'm going to let her tell the story and give us a little background about Cherry Frost. She's very modest, but this has received a lot of national attention, including down at the Biltmore in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, and uh, it's received a, a national award uh, for its beauty and disease resistance. So it's a it's in the trade. It's not an easy way to get there. She's been at this, I believe, for at least 20 years. Is well, that correct? 20, 25 personally. 25 personal yeah, years. Yeah. So I, I don't want to take any time away from Julie because she now lives and resides in Barnes, Wisconsin. She's going to tell us a little bit about hardy shrubs and then her career as a rose breeder. Julie. Okay, it's kind of a where do I start here. I was a master gardener. That's how I entered the, that's how I, I met Bob and went through the master gardener program. Um, at that time, I was just, I was a rose grower and I had um, over time learned that hybrid teas did not do well for me because so many died and um, really did a lot of research into roses that would survive in this area, which meant looking at some alternative forms to hybrid teas. And that is the knowledge that I brought at that time to the Master Gardener program. And it was uh, a year later, I I took a a couple classes up at UMD. I was contemplating the idea of going back to school, perhaps 
I'm not even sure what it what I would go for. And um, I I went to a career counselor up at UMD. She handed me the graduate school book and said, "Here's here's what you can look at." And I was going through, and it's like there was plant breeding was a course you could get a master's degree in, and it's like. I just looked at it. It's like you get a a degree in that, and it was totally unknown to me. But in that instant, I knew that that is what I wanted to do. I came from a medical background. I love science, and um, it was kind of combined the beauty of roses with the science I enjoyed. And um, I applied for graduate school, and Bob was one of the people who wrote a recommendation for me. And um, so I, I followed through with a degree in plant breeding, and it was not necessary for what I was doing in the sense that I knew I was never going to work at a job in that field. But um, it was, um, I was fortunate while I was in school to work with, at that time, the University of Minnesota had a plant breed, a, a rose breeding program and I was able to work with their breeder, Kathy Zuzik. I learned a lot about the techniques um, that made it easier. Um, this was pre-internet almost. Um, it was just barely getting going. And um, so the resources that are so available online today were a little bit harder to grab a hold of at that time. Um, but then it is, you know, over the course of many years, I was um, doing my own crosses using some of the hardy roses that came from Canada, some of the species roses, wild roses that survive up here without any extra care. And um, just through its repeated generations of work, it was eventually cherry frost came from a cross that was one of mine. They're, they all come from somebody else. You, you never, unless you're just working with some species roses, you're always working with someone else's roses to start with at least. But then you slowly develop your own line of roses that crosses that you're working with that have characteristics that you want. And I wanted hardiness. I wanted health, which I can only screen for my region um, around here, whatever the weather is, basically, um, I have to, but I am fortunate um, doing most of my work in northern Wisconsin, 15 miles from Lake Superior, um, that I get both, um, I, I have the wetter climate, um, I'm far enough away to not have the moderating winter temperatures, I get the colder winter temperatures, usually a little bit more snowfall. Um, and it, to me, and we have the, the drastic temperature changes in the fall and spring, so you get that, those late, late frosts, you get the um, early frosts in the fall, and you've got to try and um, it, it's a perfect climate for disease generally. <laughs> and as weird as it sounds, um, I encourage disease because I cannot screen the roses that I produce for disease without um, the disease present. So 
I overhead water. I crowd my roses. Um, I do everything. They're crowded into two small pots, and eventually at the end of two years, I will probably plant out maybe 30 roses each year, roughly, um, out of 500 that I start with in the spring every year. That's kind of the magic number I've learned. That's the number of roses I can handle myself. Uh, and that's important for plant breeding. You can, I could produce 15,000 seeds easily, but if you can't move them on and plant them and screen them and have enough space for them, you're wasting your time. I, you know, so um, that's kind of where it's come from. Cherry frost was a cross that was done in 2006, and I knew I, I loved the parent the female parent of the rose, um, but it got black spot. It wasn't a real healthy rose, but it, it had a, many of the characteristics that cherry frost has. Um, and it was crossed with a much hardier rose. It's got some miniature rose in the background. Um, it's a, a hodgepodge of different roses. But um, I knew when I first saw cherry frost bloom right from the very beginning, it was eye-catching. Um, that is about the red color for cherry frost. I have, um, many years ago when we were master gardeners, Bob said um, that red is a color that men like. <laughs> <laughs> bright, it's vivid. <laughs> it's bright, it's vivid, it's eye-catching. Um, for cherry frost, it's non-fading, which many reds are. Um, it, it maintains its red color. It's got good petal substance, so I've been told it'll stay in a vase for a week without dropping petals. Um, you know, I've had people come and say, oh, I've used it in, uh, at rose shows in a design, you know, for, for um, the design class. Um, I've had, it's, it's been so fun to see people's response to it, and it, it seems to brighten uh, like so many people, you know, just really enjoy growing it. So There is, you know, in a capsule, so many things that she had to say, the commitment that it takes, and I was not even aware. And she told me once, Julie, I recall this, that my lifetime goal is one introduction. And that's still, it's like <laughs> I won't live long enough for the second. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do. You know, Dave, it's an instantaneous age. Everybody wants instant gratification yep. and yet the real accomplishments that will last a long, long time. Um, Dave happens to have a Harrelson apple, and we've talked about that being one of the original University right. of Minnesota introductions right. that when Honeycrisp came along, they said it would go away. It was introduced in the 20s. And yet it's still with us. Well, it will be for a long, now. long time. And I really think that uh, Cherry Frost will be in that same category. So here's a lifetime of work, really, that she's put in. It is real work and effort. That she has a passion for it. Uh, you can't really call it. It's really a labor of love, would you not say? Oh, yes. It's, it's yes. not a, a major commercial <laughs> enterprise of any type. And yet uh, she's made such a wonderful contribution over this long period of time. So part of this, we just... I'm, I'm very grateful that she did this and, and spent such a major part of her life bringing beauty to so many people. And I know you've got a commercial break coming, but I wanted people to hear a remarkable story, particularly young people that might be listening, 
that think everything is over in a heartbeat. It isn't, but there is, when you get done with your life, the satisfaction, if nothing else, what you contributed. I, I did that one thing. Yeah. You know, I, I did that <laughs> one, many other things. one thing, you know, <laughs> that it, my 15 minutes of fame, you know, <laughs> it's like we all get that 15 minutes, you know, we hope, and it's like, um, but the, the whole thing is it makes you want to keep going. And you it know. will last a lifetime. It's in the trade. We're going to get more of it uh, in our community. It is beautiful, Rose, and I'm very, very appreciative. I bought a number of them, have them, and I've given them as gifts, and I think okay. it's really a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Rose that we're very appreciative because disease resistance, winter hardy, minimal care, it kind of fits so perfectly with this time where people don't want pesticides yeah. and they, a lot of them don't have time. They're busy with their careers. So it's a major uh, contribution, but it didn't happen overnight. All right, Bob, we'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. We're at 929 now at KDAO. As the Bob Olin Show continues, back to Bob and his special guests this morning. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, Dave, you know we had the opportunity to talk about the Duluth Rose Garden, which is a magnificent garden built above the, built above the freeway because uh, a woman by the name of Ozma Clint that uh, there was an original rose garden and the Lake Spear Rose Society, and we were kind of commemorating the life of Catherine Algren, that was one of the co-founders of the Lake Spear Rose Society. And uh, we have this beautiful facility. You know, the freeway came through, came into town, came through West Duluth, and Osbeckland had a rose garden, and they had no plans of, of replacing the rose garden. The pavement was going to go right down along the lake shore, no access to the lake at all. And uh, she st- basically stopped that, that freeway. And the solution was the tunnel, of course. And we aware, Julie, there's 17 feet of topsoil on top of that. Because I was consulted. Shows a bit, we both go back a long yeah. ways. But I said, winter hardiness, all that cold air in a tunnel underneath, underneath, you're going to have to have a good layer of topsoil. I didn't expect that they'd come up with 17 feet, but yeah. they, they did. So that beautiful, serene uh, Rose Garden is above a very, very busy, noisy area. You can just walk to the edges where the tunnel comes out and you hear all the traffic. You don't hear any of that. It's uh, There was a gentleman there, and I took his photo, Ron Carlson from uh, Lakeside. He walks it for his physical health, and then he just sits on one of the benches and absorbs the beauty of the roses, oh, something that, that Julie has been uh, uh, very aware of, the mental health aspects of, of just appreciation, appreciating the beauty in our in our community. But Ron Carlson said, you know, I, I get out there, I take my hike, I get some physical activity. I sit here for 10 minutes, and he says it's pure serenity. And those are his words. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful location. Oz McClendon, rest her soul, was really responsible. And, of course, it opened up the lake walk and all of the tourist possibilities. And it was one woman that really said, no, we're going to have a rose garden. So we have this beautiful facility. They come from all over the world, literally. You hear different languages down there to see the rose garden. And so many people in our greater Duluth Superior area don't take the time to get down there. This year, because of the rainfall we've had, the roses are absolutely magnificent. So let's get back to Julie. That that name, uh, Cherry Frost, seems so appropriate for this beautiful, deep red, uh, multi-clustered rose. Can you tell us where the name came from? The name was, at first, briefly, let me tell you, when you, what I had to do was submit my rose um, to, I, I sent it to Star Roses in Pennsylvania. Um, it, that was that was based on my husband contacting them first. 
and um, saying, my wife breeds roses, would you be interested in looking at any? And uh, they said, sure, send us some. And so um, that is what I did. And um, slowly each year they'd say, no, this one doesn't bloom enough or this one got some disease. But cherry frost, right from the beginning, they seemed interested in. And um, they sent it, after two years, they sent it out to California. They propagated it and sent it out there. But they looked at it for four years, and um, I thought, okay, at the end of four years, they're going to tell me what they're going to do with it. And it's like, no, we're going to send it around the country and have it looked at at different regional gardens for the next two years. So they looked at it for six years before they decided to introduce it. It's still unnamed, and what they told me is it will take us probably three years to get it on the market because they have to increase the number of plants they have. So in the meantime, they're doing the patent process. Um, they have to come up with a name, and it is, what I can tell you is after talking to other breeders, um, how often you look at the name of a rose, like ketchup and mustard, and it's like, that's not a good name. And it's like, this, this happened to so many people where they, their beautiful roses were given names they weren't happy with. And when they told me, they had, you know, they did ask me for my input, which was apparently largely ignored, you know, <laughs> but, but um, they came back and said, we're going to call it Cherry Frost. And I was, quite frankly, floored, and it's like that is the perfect name. It is a red rose. It is winter hardy. That suits this rose. And um, so I, have, I love the name. I really do love I'm the so name. So do I. I love the rose to the point where I'm actually encouraging more and more of our nurseries to make sure they've got it in stock for next year. And... Um, you know, people should be aware this is a lifelong passion. This is a labor of love. This is not a major commercial enterprise <laughs> for Julie. Like she says, she had a very supportive husband because <laughs> it's very difficult and very time-consuming, right. and there is not much of a, a return at all. Uh, just enough probably to keep your breeding program going. Oh, it, right? it, now at least I can pay for the soil I buy and some pots. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's about it. It's a step up. <laughs> it's a step up where and probably your husband's relieved that now this hobby is yeah. a little bit closer to being self-supporting. But, uh, you know, her life is so remarkable to me, the fact she made this transition, she followed her dream, and um, there, let me ask you, there has to be a lot of satisfaction. You've got more roses in the pipeline, of course, but you did manage to accomplish the one introduction. In how many years again did uh, the Oh, it took have? about 20. Uh, you know, it's like if, if from 2006 when the cross was performed to it was uh, introduced in 2019. Yes. So that's 15 years basically from the cross to reaching the market. And, you know, I, I mentioned Catherine Algren, uh, people that have passed recently, and Milt Sundquist, Milt we have Sundquist, to mention, too. Yes. Milt was, had a, uh, a farm property out in Hermantown and a, uh, a root cellar that uh, <laughs> he was so kind. You know, people don't understand, you have to overwinter this material somewhere, and there's not a lot of root cellars around any longer. No, no. The farm has gone away, so 
Milt Sundquist has passed and left us too, but Milt, all these people looking down, uh, you made your contribution to uh, Julie's career. They all, her they all contributed. They all contributed know. something. So this has been, uh, you know, this has been fun. I go back to some of the breeders, uh, David Bedford and Jim Luby on uh, Honeycrisp Apples, mm -hmm. and Jim told me the same thing. He said, if I get one introduction in a lifetime, can you imagine that, where everything now is instantaneous, instant gratification, and in this particular profession, really, of plant breeding, it can take a long, long time, but the oldies are the goodies, and uh, that hopefully, that will be available to people for perhaps certainly decades, maybe centuries ahead, we don't know, like Harrelson, everyone said, Dave, your apple was going to go away, and I said, I don't think so, because that is so hardy, I've seen yeah. it up in Canada, and so easy to maintain, mm -hmm. and where Honeycrisp is great, our experience, of course, it's a zone for apple, so we get up north, uh, north of Urbantown in that area. And more it, disease issues. More disease that, issues. Yeah. It's not as hard as we'd like. And they never claimed it was. The university yeah. never did. And uh, yet people loved it so much that it's trying to stretch the zones. Yeah. And yet, uh, so it's not nearly as durable as some of the old mm -hmm. ones that have been around forever. Wealthy, the original apple, excuse me, I'm digressing mm -hmm. just a little bit. But, uh, and I put Wealthy in some trials so people can see the original apple that came to uh, Minnesota was introduced right after statehood, 1860, I believe, and uh, the wealthy apple is still here to this day yeah. and still being appreciated. So cherry frost, I think, is in that same category that will go on. It will be a marvelous, marvelous legacy. So I, I did want to take this opportunity since Julie was in town. I really appreciate it, Julie, uh, that you joined us and gave us a story. I learned a little bit more about the history and all of the fine, fine people in this great community. I'm going back to I hear all the problems on, on your newscast that some of our major metropolitan areas have and how fortunate we are in Duluth to have something as beautiful as our lakeshore and that rose garden and Julie's uh, contribution. Dave, I don't know. Uh, we, we had quite a nice opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Did we have any questions this morning? We kind of monopolized the, uh, the airwaves this morning. No, phones are clear, but we will take another break and be right back at you, Bob. It's 942 now. There'll be Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. It'll return. Once again, here's Bob Olin. Yeah, you know, uh, again, our, our guest today is Julie Overham, plant breeder, rose breeder specifically. Today's uh, resistant hardy shrub rose breeder. And, Julie, uh, could you just comment? This was a 25-year... Uh, undertaking for you and you're still going strong could you say anything to our young audience that wants things instantaneously the satisfaction that comes from that kind of commitment can you make a comment or two there uh, the first the first thing I say is I wish I had started about 15 years earlier um, I did not start this until I was uh, 42 years old roughly when I went through the master gardener program and um, one of the things I love is, I, I mean, I loved growing roses. That was it. That that was my foundation. Um, and I learned through a lot of reading and that as much as I could. Um, but then it was, how can I use my knowledge to move to the next step? And that was about going back to school, which I, uh, you know, the first thing I say is it was not necessary. Um, but it was also for me, you know, in my mid-40s, um, probably one of the happiest times in my life. Wow. Um, in all honesty, I loved being in school. 
um, I, I had people around me that were 20 years younger than mm. me. They were my, they were barely older than my kids. <laughs> um, and yes, that group would accept you. As I was part of a study group with people 20 years younger than me, and um, it was it was just plain fun. But I loved what I learned. And one of the things I always I felt apologetic when I got into grad school. And I had one of the teachers, you know, he was asking people why they were there, why they were taking classes, and it's like, I felt almost apologetic. It was a, a plant physiology class, and it's like, well, I'm taking up your time, you know, because I'm never going to use this in a, in a job. And he said, you are the perfect reason why I come here every day, because you're not here to get a job. You're here to learn. And um, that is, it, it meant so much to me to hear that. And um, I got encouragement all the way along. And you don't, you know, when I look back at what I started with, I mean, somebody said, why are you growing plants in your driveway? You know, it's, it's like, it, certainly my life evolved a lot, and a lot of it was because of plants. Yes. But always it was, um, when I learned I wanted to do the pan plant breeding, it just was, um, I did it because it just became something that was so um, mentally engaging. It kept me going physically. It's hard physical work, mm -hmm. but it, it engaged my mind. It engaged, when you work with plants, it engages your spirit. And it was, I felt like I was so gifted to be able to follow something that I really wanted to do. And I have never, ever regretted. I mean, my family might regret that, oh, mom's leaving because she has to go water plants again. Um, every day, you look at what you're doing, and I have assumed a responsibility to it. I have to keep my plants watered. I have to show up. It's just like being a farmer. Yes. Um, you have to put in the presence in order to, and one day, one slip, and you can lose a year's worth of work. Yes. You know, so it it does take commitment. Um, it took the support my husband has, in all ways, shapes, forms, has helped me um, to do, to achieve as much as I, I as far as I've gotten so far, and. Um, Never, I will always appreciate that, but it's like what I learned is I am so lucky to have a dream that and be I, able to pursue it and be able to pursue it is the other thing because not everybody has that opportunity. But um, it's like if you have, if you believe in something truly, truly, it engages you that way. It's like do everything you can to try and follow that. You know, Julie has said so many very significant things. And if we have younger audience out there, and you know, at this point in my life, I think we really want to encourage. No one should be discouraged in the United States of America because she said several start early and just get passionate about something. You don't know where your life's going right. to where it's going to take you. But we have these second and third chances. You can start another career at 42. I've seen people do this. You cannot do this. I live with seven families in West Germany, uh, seven siblings. And the one who was a great machinist 
um, very modest income compared to what a machinist would earn in this country. But he said, uh, I said, why a machinist? He said, well, in the third grade, based on your intelligence test, he's a very capable man. He said, they determined I'm not going to school. I'm never going to be a plant breeder. I will be a machinist. And for the next 13 years or whatever it was, he was trained. But he said, we just don't have the opportunity to switch careers and follow our own passion. Someone kind of determines that for you based on an intelligent test in the third grade. And I worry about myself being a late bloomer. What happens to all the late bloomers of the world that want to pursue something? In this country, you can do it. She's done that. Uh, she's also pointed out the mental health aspects. You know, people they build, people think gardening is just a quaint little hobby. No, it's not. Getting out there in the sun, the physical activity, uh, the peace and serenity that comes from it, the sense of accomplishment, even with some difficulties. And we get, if we get a chance here, we'll talk about what we're seeing in the landscape. We have some issues going on, obviously. This is not heaven on earth. Uh, there's always going to be something oh, that's, yeah. that's going to make it difficult to grow things. But that's life, and uh, if you just follow that passion and, and take the satisfaction out of the things that work, because she got one introduction, how many different crosses do you think you've had over that 20-year period? Thousands, I would assume. Oh, it's thousands. I mean, I can't even. I, on average, um, at this point in time, I do about 800 crosses a year, wow. but at one point in time, it was 2,400. Wow. So I'm, I'm trying to cut back a little bit, but it, it was also, I also produced more seeds than I could handle, and uh, so I've learned that's kind of my, under a thousand, Yes, it, you know, so. So it just shows you the level of commitment, but you can see the satisfaction that she's had in continuing, and, you know, people in this profession, they're not really thinking about retiring, are they? They're thinking uh, about no. the next introduction, potentially. Well, it, that's what keeps you going, um, and, and certainly... You know, you get to a point where, and it doesn't matter what age you are, there's people who have bad knees or bad backs or something. And so every year I'm at the point where I just say, well, I can do it this year. Yes. And then we'll see what happens the next year. Yes. And um, certainly I've gone through Lyme disease. Um, you know, there have been trials, but, um, but not enough to ever, ever. In fact, it was probably during Lyme disease it was my garden that got me through it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And we're seeing this. I'm hearing this from more and more people where people were confined uh, due to the COVID issue, and uh, the garden has been just an escape mechanism for them, and it, it really did stimulate a lot of interest. So, Dave, um, I don't know how we're doing time-wise. I want to thank Julie for spending this time with us, sharing her life story. There's a lot of inspiration there. Look for Cherry Frost. It's a great, great rose that uh, has brought a lot of joy to so many people. So thank you, Julie, for your commitment. <laughs> I look at that, and I'm a busy person, but I don't know that I could spend 25 years developing thousands of crosses. It's a very, very special person that has that level of uh, commitment. And this is a very special community, very special country where people can pursue their dreams like that. Don't get discouraged. Get out there and pursue your dream. It's still a very, very good life out there. Dave, do we have a little time? I'm seeing a few things in the landscape that might interest people. Yeah, quickly, and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, farmer's market coming oh, up. Oh, yeah, we're in the middle of our, our season, of course. Everybody's wondering about uh, warm season crops, sweet corn and potatoes, tomatoes. Potatoes are coming in, and then so are the greens and carrots and uh, so many uh, great crops are coming in. Uh, cucumbers are there, pickling cukes, slicing cukes, uh, some tomatoes. We're going to have to be a little bit patient because our nights have been very cool and 
our warm season veggies. People want the melons. They want the sweet corn. They want the tomatoes. They're they're beginning to come in now. So that's the Duluth Farmers Market, and of course that's Wednesday afternoons, two to five, Fourteenth Avenue East and Third Street, and then on Saturdays eight till noon, local product. Um, we certainly uh, have got local musicians that contribute their time. This is really about community, very family-friendly, bring the kids down. We give you a $2 uh, produce token that they can spend every time you bring the, your children from infancy through 18. They get a token. We're trying to encourage better health and, and uh, better family activities. So it's a nice place, 14th Avenue East, 2 to 5 on Wednesdays and 8 till noon on Saturday. And then uh, taking a look, I mentioned tomatoes. Everyone's looking at their green tomatoes and field-run crops and wondering if they're going to ripen. We're all kind of pulling for a warm, long uh, fall season here and a very, very late frost. If you're in the greater Duluth area, very little disease this year at this point. Uh, northern part of the county where there's been quite a bit more rain, um, you get up in the Virginia area and farther north, uh, we are seeing some late blight, different than early blight. Late blight, very destructive disease on uh, specifically tomatoes and potatoes uh, when we have more time. And if I see more of that, I saw several plots yesterday that gave me some uh, reason for concern. Nothing down here in the Duluth Superior area at this point, but it, the spores are, are airborne and they can move around. So we may have to watch that. Uh, that's a very, very challenging disease. It'll take down uh, your crops pretty quickly. We'll so. continue that discussion next week. Bob, we got to wrap it up. Thanks, and we'll catch you on next Tuesday. Thank you, Dave. Have a very good week, and we yeah. got some in the forecast, so we'll see what happens next time, next week at this time.